Oh, I'm shadows. Except for me, no friend of my couple. Here we are, ladies. Parshas Emar. It's towards the end of Vayikra, chapter 21. We're starting at the beginning. Um, anybody have a chance to take a look at this Parsha and see what's going on? No, I'm behind. You're behind? Okay, we had a yes over here. Okay, give me. So what are we talking about in this Parsha? Offerings? Okay. A little bit. We're going to have a little no, bit of okay. offerings. for Kishir, what do we have? Um, there is no mostly. There is no mostly. In this. Okay. <laughs> I like it. It's mostly. Okay. This is one of those parshas where it's not mostly anything. Okay. What does it start with, Sylvie? Sylvia, what does it start with? Kohanim. It's going to start off with Kohanim. Starting off with the laws of the Kohanim. It's talking about not coming in contact with the dead. The, the, the commandment for Kohanim to stay in a state of Tahara. Okay, where remember we talked about this place of Tuma and Tahara, that for most people it's optional. If you don't need to have access to holiness, you don't need to become Tahar. Whereas for Kohanim, for the priest, it is in fact the Torah obligation to always stay in a state of Tahara. And parenthetically, which is a very interesting thing, that today, meaning like in 2021, we are all considered Tameh because we haven't had a temple for a few years already. And, um, and we haven't had a chance to go through the purification. So we, so we are all in a kind of state of tuma. Um, we've all come in contact with the dead at some point or another. We've been to hospitals, we've been to cemeteries. We've walked in areas that are, were once cemeteries. Like it's, a, it's almost impossible to walk any place for sure in Israel and Jerusalem. And in many places in the world, it's impo almost impossible to never have come in contact. You know, it's not like, oh, we came in contact with a corpse but i'm saying like we're all some level of of tuma that we have that we have come in contact with a dead body and still there is an obligation uh not an obligation there's a prohibition against adding another layer to that conversation that means even though you are already tame you're not allowed to add well a kohen is not allowed to add layers of tuma onto it imagine kind of like an onion, you know, kind of all those those layers. So you're not allowed, even though you could say, well, we're all Tameh, what difference does it make? They still have a Torah obligation to be careful about where they go and what they do. Cute little story that my son, who's not a little boy anymore, when he was in uh, like preschool, well, this also only happens in Israel kind of thing. So one day in Rosh Chodesh, they had gone on a trip to some, we lived in the old city then and they were going someplace in the old city to go daven someplace. I don't remember exactly, you know what it was. And I said, oh, that's so nice. And then he casually mentioned, oh, but Yaakov didn't go. I'm like, why didn't Yaakov go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just making a He's like, looks at me like I am an idiot. He's like, Yaakov is a Kohen. He's not allowed to go there. And we're talking about a four or five-year-old Kohen is not going on a trip to the graves because he's a Kohen and there was just that awareness. Um, he can't go, he's a Kohen, of course he can't go. And I was, I, I've been talking about the story for many years because like I say, he's a big boy now, but it's such a, such a, to me, such an amazing mindset that we're able to raise our children with, you know, that he's like, there's just, this is how it is. He's, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's, so we started with the prohibition about who, you, who a Kohen is allowed to come in contact 
for their death come in contact with like, okay, go to the funeral of who, who can a Kohen go to a funeral of? So a regular Kohen has his six, his, sorry, his seven close family members, his wife, his mother, his father, his sister, his brother, his son, and his daughter. That's it. Nobody else. Okay. Um, that's the, so that's, what we're going to continue. That's the beginning of the Torah portion talks about, and the morning that they're not allowed to do, they're not allowed to, uh, they're not allowed to let their hair grow. They're not allowed to pull out their hair. There are all these kind of things that sort of death related situations going on over here in the beginning. And then it talks about the specific laws for a high priest, for a Kohen Gadol, um, who both, it's also going to talk about who a Kohen can marry. And then it's going to go into the laws of a Kohen Gadol, who a Kohen Gadol Kohen Gadol is not allowed to go to anybody's funeral. Anybody, not his mother, not his father, not his wife, not his children. The only person that a Kohen Gadol can go to their funeral is what's called a nice mitzvah, a met mitzvah. If somebody passes away, they find a body between two cities and they don't know who the person is, then the whole, both cities, the, the leaders of both cities need to come together and bury this person and actually do a ceremony to say that we have had no part in this person's death that we did not let him go unescorted, that we did not leave him alone, we didn't let him go without food or water. And so that's that's the only person that a Kohen Gadol can come, uh, go to their funeral. A Kohen, Kohen can do, has seven, have, has the seven, the seven close relatives. A Kohen, a Kohen Gadol does not. A Kohen Gadol has much stricter, much stricter rules. and. So, you know, right? But not his wife. Yeah. Uh, to, that he can go to the funeral of a met mitzvah, an unknown person who dies, and we have to do this mitzvah of burying them, the Kohen Gadol can go to that, but not to his wife, and not to his mother, and not his father, and not his children. Or siblings. It, it is, and it's a very interesting thing, and it's, it's, it's definitely not in the line of, uh, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> Right, so it is very special for the person. It's also like the Kohen Gadol has to be in a place of being able to live with that inconsistency. Of, you know, one of the things that this parasha like kind of highlights for me, something that I tell my kids all the time when they say it's not fair. Life's not fair. It's, 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 not, it's not about fairness. It's about what Hashem wants us to do and not necessarily how we feel about the given situation. So it's a, it's a, you know, you would say it's not fair. Why does he go there and not there? And I, and I appreciate you being able to highlight the benefit for the other person as opposed to the unfairness for the Kohen Gadol, that he can, the things that he can't do. Because you're right, it is very special. And that's what, one of the reasons why he's allowed to go to be part of that ceremony. Okay. Um, the Kohen Gadol also, by the way, has the obligation to stay in the temple or the tabernacle all the time. Okay, um, then the second, in the line of it's not fear, our second aliyah talks about all different kinds of physical blemishes that a Kohen, uh, that if a Kohen has them, they cannot serve in the, in the temple or the tabernacle. They are allowed to eat from the sacrifices. They're allowed to do other jobs in the temple, but they're not allowed to actually be the, that, that between the person and Hashem in bringing the sacrifice, the conduit. They can't be the conduit. Um, and there's a whole conversation about, you know, why is that? Certain things we understand. Somebody has a broken leg, you know, when it heals, you could then go serve in the temple. 
but what about somebody who has one leg larger than the other or an, an eye, like things that are misshapen, like this, you were born this way. This is through no fault of your own. Um, and it almost seems like we're penalizing the person. And so there's a whole conversation about the, the, how, you know, the place of the base Hamikdash, the place of the temple was a place of just such clarity and such connection. And somebody who has something that's very distracting, it becomes, it becomes a barrier. That's like on the most simple level. In Kabbalah, they, they go into whole conversations that I don't fully understand about how this shows that you're really very special. And I don't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it enough in able to, to be able to give it over. Um, uh, so it's, there's, it definitely is falling under the rubric of things that, you know, seem to us to not 100% make sense. And like I said, it's back to that. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. Um, but on, on the other side, there, are, especially in the temple, there, there was a lot of stuff that the, Koh the Kohanim did that was not only offering sacrifices. And so they were able to do those kind of things. It just, they weren't the front person. Okay. Um, and then it goes, uh, goes into different kinds of bodily emissions that they have and what's going on over there. Okay. Now the end of the third Aliyah, which is going to be chapter 22, verse uh, 15 and 16. So it's going, it's like it's coin, coin, coin stuff. And then the last two verses of this Aliyah talk about, it says, um, uh, Okay, I think I made a mistake. No, uh, one second. No, that's not where I was looking for. Sorry. It's going to be someplace after. Oh, it's at the end of, sorry. It's at the end of the, um, it's at the end of the third Aliyah. I was right, but I was, I was right, but I was wrong. Um, it was at the end of the third Aliyah, not at the beginning of the third Aliyah, uh, not the end of the second Aliyah. Um, so chapter 22, um, it talks about in verse 31 and 32. Um, it, it tells us that you should guard my mitzvahs and you should do them. I am Hashem. Okay, you with me? Chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. And it continues, you should not uh, uh, profane my name, my holy name. And I should be sanctified amongst the Jewish people. Amongst the Jewish people, I am God who has sanctified you, and also who, who continues, who took you out of the land of Egypt to do to be your God. Um, and that's where that Aliyah finishes. Now, the, the those two lines over there is where we have the whole concept of what's known as Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem. The 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 commandment to sanctify Hashem's name. And the prohibition against um, what would be a good word? Not disgracing, but like how would you say chil? Like chil is like is to make it ordinary, or but but it's really more than just making it ordinary. It's more of a place of so it's more than casual. It's like it's it, hmm? yeah. I don't know that word. Not English. The use, the use, like something that you use, like. Like, uh, usual. So, so maybe, so maybe like that, if that's what the root of it is. Chilul is from chol, from, from ordinary. But the place of chilul Hashem, if anybody's ever had a teacher 
kind of hiss at them. Stop making a chil Hashem. You know, it's not just making it ordinary. It's somehow where we are therefore not just making God's name ordinary, but we are schlepping it down. I know you say that in English. Right. It's kind of like when you, and that's where you say like, why are we judged differently? Because, of, yeah, when you're an identifiable Jew and you litter on the floor, that's on the light end of Chil Hashem. It's like, nobody says, oh, there's a girl just dropping her wrapper. They're like, oh, there's that Jewish girl dropping her wrapper. Um, uh, and, and so there we have this, we have this obligation to both honor God's name and also be very careful not to, I don't know if debase is the word. I don't know if that's, if that would be the right word for it, but to like, to, to not give, not to have people point fingers and say, that's what a God-fearing person does, right? Um, and, and there's, there are actually, you know, it's like this, these two kind of lines have laws and laws and laws and laws that flesh it out and say, what does it actually mean? What's the parameters where, what is considered Kiddush Hashem? Where do we have to sanctify Hashem's name? Like, we're not only talking about, um, you know, doing things that are like in, in Jewish history, sorry, I'm tripping over my words today. Um, Jewish history with the concept of Kiddush Hashem, we know. Historically, we had Jews dying for God, and that was considered Kiddush Hashem. Now, today, thank God, most of us don't live in countries where that is demanded of us. We are not, you know, we're in a time and a, and a country where we really don't have to make that choice, live a Jewish life, or I'm going to kill you. Um, and, and so, therefore, Kiddush Hashem becomes much more um, nuanced in a certain way. I mean, we don't just say, oh, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, um, oh, my gosh, I'm totally losing my language. It has no relevance to us, right? We don't say that. We say, wait a second, it's much more nuanced. Then we talk about the place of Kiddush Hashem in a world that is so connected. How do we behave in a way that brings honor to God's name? And, and it's, it's in little things and in big things. It's not, all, you know, when you have a, a religious Jew who gets caught at the top of a Ponzi scheme, it's much worse than any other person, you know, it's somehow, it doesn't become a person with like an issue with their ethics. It becomes a Jewish person with their issue with their ethics. And it becomes much, much worse. And it really is. It's not just like, oh, everybody's out to get us. There, we do have a, 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 we do have this obligation for Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem. Now, um, we also, there's, like I say, there's lots of laws that, that govern this whole uh, area of, of law. And one of, like, in the conversation of, uh, do I need to give up my life? Do I need to, to what degree and what this extent? Generally speaking, there, there are, just like in everything in Torah, there are rules. At, if it's public or private, if it's a time where the, the, the government is trying to get you to convert, all these, all these different kinds of rules. The one thing that goes, that's sort of tagged on to Kiddush Hashem and Chil Hashem, there are, you know, three mitzvahs, yeah, Premises that you never, ever, ever, ever are allowed to do. Okay, what are what are those three? Three mitzvahs. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if they say I'm going to kill you if you don't do this. Three mitzvahs. You're never ever allowed to say, okay, fine, I'll do it. Just don't kill me. Uh -huh. Idols. Uh -huh. Adultery, idolatry, and murder. Those are the three. Adultery. Having, having sexual relations with somebody who you're not allowed to, idolatry, serving a foreign God, and murder, 
they can't say, you kill her or I'm going to kill you. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to give up a person to be killed. And, and in our, well, maybe not our particular lifetime, but in our short, shorter term memory, these have become real issues, real issues of, of, of times of trauma and times of war. And when do we, you know, you know, in Germany and in the concentration camps, all this was, these were all real issues. And they're actually, there are actually books of responsa from rabbis who were living during the Holocaust about how do they deal with all these kinds of issues. Uh, you know, and, and so thank God we're not, we are not in that era. That is not really where we're looking at at the same time. It's still, I think it's a good idea for us to kind of keep this in our head, this place of Kiddush Hashem and Hashem, this place of how do my actions reflect on God? And because they do. We, will, we could say, it's not fair, we don't want, nobody asked them, blah, blah, blah. You know, I remember we, when we used to go out in high school and they, they say, don't run, girls, don't run, forget it. You know, you're a big group of girls walking together, don't make a chil blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who cares? You know, nobody's looking at us. And then now as an old, the, the old lady that I am, I see big groups of girls and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so loud. Um, you know, and I notice what school they're from and I know, you know, like, and that's just kind of like casual. It's not... So there's, there's that little plug. It's kind of, it's really, it's kind of very casually put in here, not casually, it's in here, um, but that's kind of where we're going. Now, from Ravi, from the, four, the fourth, fifth, and sixth aliyahs are going to do a total turn. Um, and we're going to start talking about the holidays. And the actual, the Torah reading for the holidays comes from Parshas Emmer. So first, we're going to have a little bit about Shabbos. We're going to have a little bit about Passover, we're going to have about Shavuos, we're going to have the counting of the Omer, it's going to continue and it's going to go all the way through the fourth Aliyah. At the end of the fourth Aliyah, we're going to have a little segue. Um, so we stop after Shavuos, and then it tells us in chapter 23, verse 22, it says that when you cut the corners of, when you cut your, when you harvest your, your land, you have to leave the corners of the field. And the anything that fell off that you were gathering, you have to leave for the for the for the poor or for converts. You need to leave it. I'm, I'm Hashem. And then Hamishi picks up, and it continues right back into Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and it's going to continue going almost all the way till the end of the parsha. Okay, we're going to come back to this in a second. And uh, actually, let's let's stop here for a second, right? So Rashi says um, Rashi wants to know. Rashi wants to know why are we repeating this last week's Torah portion in Kedoshim when we had all those mitzvahs, we didn't get to all of them, shockingly enough, but we did, um, we did a, one of the mitzvahs that was there is this mitzvah of Leket Shikhan Peah. Now Israel, when the Jews came to the land of Israel, they're an agricultural society and they have lots of mitzvahs that are very specific to farming. Um, you know, some that are more global, some are more short-term, but one of the three, three specific mitzvahs that every single farmer had, there were three mitzvahs, Leket, Shikha, and Peah, that he, they had to keep. What are these mitzvahs? Peah is like the payas, are the side of the side of the, a man's face, the corner of your field, you had to leave for, you had to leave for gleaning, for people to come, uh, for anybody who wanted to come and take. Uh, shikha is what happens if you are gathering your bundles and you forgot to pick one of them up, you're not allowed to go get it. And if you are gathering all of them and something fell down, that's like it, you're not allowed to go back and pick it up. If it falls down, you're not allowed to go back. 
Obviously, I'm simplifying the situation. It's much more nuanced and details. How big does the bundle have to be? How much do you have to write? But for, for the purpose of our conversation, we're going to just leave it at that. Um, and, um, and, it's, and we had these mitzvahs last week. We had these mitzvahs last week. We had the mitzvahs of Leket Kirchanpeya uh, last week. And so Rashi says, uh, why is it being repeated? Why are we having it come here again? So if anybody can find the Rashi. Um, uh, so first of all, if he... It repeats it. Um, uh, anybody who doesn't do this is now obligated twice. They've 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 transgressed twice because the Torah tells it twice. Okay, and then it goes on, um, and then it goes on. Rabbi Rabbi Avidimi, and why did Hashem? Why do we have this mitzvah of the leket shikhanpeya in the middle of the conversation? of the Shalosh Regalim, right? Because we were in the middle of Pesach and Shavuos, and now we're going to go into Hashanah and Sukkot, and all of a sudden, bump, we have... So it could be. So, so, that, so, here, so here they, so here they, here they, he gives a different answer. He gives a different answer. You're right. It could be that, that Shavuos is harvest time, but Rashi brings a different answer, and he says that you have Pesach and Shavuos on one side, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur on the other side, and this is right here. Lila Medcha to teach you Shekal Hanaisin Leket Shechopeya Laani Karai. Anybody who gives these three different uh, gifts to a poor person as they're supposed to be, Mailina Love, it is considered for him Kilu Bana Beis Hamikdash as if he built the temple. Vehikriv Alav Karbanasa Betaycha and then brought a sacrifice in it. That is big stuff. That is over the top, big stuff, right? So now, of course, the, you know, in Hasidus, I want to know, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Why do we have such an over the top kind of situation going on and what's going on over here? So, so what are we talking about here? So we know in general, we have a mitzvah of tzedakah, right? There is a mitzvah that you have different, different monies that a person has to give. Now you could say, I don't want to, so like that's, Fine, but Torah is saying you have to give this money. You have to give a tenth of your profits. You have to give whatever different kind of in the time of the temple they had different different kinds of tithes that were going on. It was on a six year cycle and all different kinds of stuff. Some that went to the Levites and they had stuff they had to give. Right? Um, there was something that you did have a person who had to give those any of those monies, any of that stuck and even today has the right to decide who gets that money. Meaning, I have to give the money. Torah's not saying, how do you feel about giving 10% of your profits? That's not the question. But I can choose to say, this is an, this is a, uh, this is a, an organization or, uh, or a cause that really speaks to my, my heart. This is something I'm interested in feeding poor families. I'm interested in saving the whales. I'm interested in whatever, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is that I want, that I feel is an important cause, I have the right to give my money to wherever I want. There's one time where you do not have that right. And there, there's kind of this, there's kind of this, like, nobody's that crass to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy, I'm giving your organization these funds, and therefore, they'll be very nice to you. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it's that. But you do have the right of, like, I feel good about this, and it makes me feel good. There's one place where you do not get that right. You do not get the right to feel good about the charity that you're giving. 
and it's in these three mitzvahs specifically. In the mitzvahs of Leket, Shikha, and Peya, you do not have the right to say, I have to give it to a poor person. I'm going to give it to that poor person and not to that poor person. You can't say to some guy who comes to your field, um, don't, don't come here. I'm waiting. Somebody else is coming to get it. You're not allowed to do that. The mitzvah is, is for first, whoever wants can take it. You don't get to direct it. And why is it like one of the things that Hasidah says, Hashem is highlighting here, you know, has anybody here ever done any kind of farming? Or I'm, I'm a really plants hate me. They come into my house and they drop dead because they know I'm going to kill them. But I like it. I keep trying. And that's like on such a tiny little scale. Farming is very, very, very labor intensive. It's very labor intensive. You need to prepare the ground. You need to thing. You need to water. You need to pray. You need to weed. It's like, so you're so invested in this, whatever it is that's growing. And that place to say, this is mine. I worked for it. Okay, so now... Who could I give it to to like make myself feel a little bit good? I have to, I have to give part of it. So I'm not going to be so sneaky and say like, I'm not going to get any of it, but could I at least. Specifically, in some that is so 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 labor intensive in general is considered one of earn your money. Whether you know you're you do it through having takes effort, but there's something about farming that is momish hands on all the time. And at the end of it, you're not even guaranteed that it's going to work. Like there's so much that it's not up to you. And in this area specifically, Hashem says you want to know how to do the mitzvah beautifully. Do it because it's a mitzvah. Don't do it because you're going to get a benefit from it. Don't do it because it makes you feel good. You, you, you might not want, how do you really do a mitzvah? You do a mitzvah because Hashem told us to do the mitzvah. And when we do that, when we can do the mitzvah, because Hashem told us that it's a mitzvah and we're doing it for him, then not only is it, you get the, you know, you get the mitzvah, that's nice. it's as if you built the temple with your own hands. There's all this effort that went into the farming. You, it's as if you built the temple with your own hands, brought a sacrifice in there because you're able to set aside your ego and do the mitzvah for the mitzvah. They tell the story of Nachum uh, Chernobyl, who was a student of the Magid, and somebody came to his, his door and had whatever his terrible story, you know, that he had, and he gave, he felt so bad and he gave him, he gave him charity. And the guy goes, he's going door to door collecting for whatever it's causes. And he keeps going. And then all of a sudden he hears footsteps behind him and he looks and he sees that Reb Nachum is chasing him. And he said, oh, wrong. Like, I, I, you know, and he says, no, 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 sir, I'm not says, no. When you came to me because of your story that I gave you stuck up from that place, and he said, is that place of doing it just because it's a mitzvah. Not that we shouldn't feel good about the mitzvahs, and we shouldn't like doing what we do. For sure we should. But the place of ultimately, why do we do mitzvahs? It's because Hashem said to do a mitzvah, and because this is the way that we connect with him. In fact, in the Rambam, in the, it, it, someplace in the laws of, uh, they talk about the laws, I don't know why it comes over there, but there's laws of conversion over there. He talks about that what do you 
tell a prospective convert in the you know in front of the base did and you're you know you've been practicing and learning and this is not like your first your first encounter with Judaism and one of the things around them says you tell them are they aware of these mitzvahs of lekek shikhan of essentially telling them this isn't a feel-good religion you if you think you're gonna like come into this and everything's gonna like be fine yeah maybe but that's not why we do it this isn't that kind of religion it's a religion that at the end of the day we're doing things because hashem told us to do it and it's it's just like such a it's to me it's such a such a wake-up call you know we, we we all have things that we like to do we all have mitzvahs that resonate with us more than others okay and it's okay and it's fine and we do have mitzvahs that we do with more energy because because they resonate with us and and we're human and there is that part but the but to understand that ultimately what I need to be doing, I need to be doing because Hashem told me to do it. And this is a way to connect with Hashem. Yes, I can like it. And yes, I can enjoy it. And nobody's saying, you know, no laughter and, and, and have like your G's and be like, Boo. no, that's not what it is. You should enjoy what you're doing. And you should, have, you should have passion in what you're doing. And at the same time, can we tap into the place of doing it because Hashem told us to do it? That's, that's, really the place that we want to we really want to tap into um and I, I think for me again everybody has their own experiences it's harder for me to tap into the it's from you know the misses that are like hard for me to do you could tap into that energy of it's a, it's a mitzvah, it's Hashem wants Hashem, you know. But the things that we really enjoy, can, can we put our joy aside a little bit? And also, I was glad to have this reminder as I was going through Parsha. These Right, but the rest, you could decide what to do with your money. You have to give nicer to a lady in, in biblical times, right? You, a lady can't knock at your door and say, I'm a lady and you have my shirt and you have to give it to me. You don't have to give it to them. You could say, I'm giving it to my brother-in-law who's a lady. I'm giving it to my friend who's a lady. I don't have to give it. It's, I don't have to give it to anybody who asks for it. In most areas of Case. You have the right to give your to give the money, but you can give it where you like. You don't get to pick. You don't get to pick and say no. No, no, it's not paste on your. It's not paste on your head. It's a pay. It's a corner of your field. Okay. You're, yes. Okay. Let's put this back. Hey, uh, over here is not the pay that that men have. It's the it's just the placement of the field, just like the payas are on the side of a head. The paya of a field is a corner of a field, and that has to not be harvested. And anybody who wants to come and take can take can harvest the food, and that you have no no right of refusal. So it's not like getting somebody's pay is looking good. No, no. Thank you for for letting me clear that one up. Now, um, the end of Parsha's of Parsha's Emmer, okay, which is basically by the seventh Aliyah, which is in chapter 24. By the way, Parsha's Emmer is very, very, very long, in case you didn't notice it. It's, it's not a double Parsha, 
it's not a little harsher, but it's still a very, very long parsha. And lots of stuff is happening. Or if we could say we have the Kohanim and the rules governing Kohanim, then we have the holidays by and large. Like that's what's going on. Shabbos, Shabbos, Pesach, Shul of the holidays um, with some stuff sprinkled in. And now we're shifting gears again for the seventh Aliyah. We are shifting gears again. And we're talking about uh, making a pure olive oil for the, for the Okay, now if you notice, because the next verse tells us it's outside of the curtain, which means it can't be the mineral light. Kind of, you have to where they're getting it from. There was some kind of special oil that was made for an eternal light. So that's one thing. Before talk that there's also on the menorah, you have to have uh, lights for the candles. Then we have the conversation about baking the, the showbread. There was almost never bread in the in, in the base of English. It was really like very thick pita kind of thing, some sort of deep fried heavy kind of right. It was bread. It was baked on Shabbos, and it was put on the on the left. Of, there was a shulchan. There was a table, and it cubicles on top. And basically, if this was a it's baked on Shabbos. No, no, in the base of it was baked on Shabbos. You heard me right. It was baked on Shabbos. Um, imagine if this is a showbread. Okay, it's not. It doesn't look like this. It's kind of. It looks like this. Nobody likes my, my art. It looks something like this. Okay, it's like that bad mark. Huh? No, no. This is the bread. This is what the bread looks like. This is what the bread looks like. The table. So imagine that the table is like a table, and on it, do you ever see those? Like the movies of the old hotels have, they have like cubicles behind the the desk, and it's like they have their mail on their keys there. So imagine such a thing, but it's open on the other side. So basically, what happened is that sideways, you can doing. Imagine this is the bread, and this is the table. Okay, so on Shabbos, when they after they finish baking it, they would come with the new bread. They would push the old bread off, so the bread was always on the table. You see what I'm doing? There was always bread. So the old bread came off. This is the old bread. It's a week old. And it's, and the Talmud tells us that it came off and it was warm and fresh. And the Kohanim who were on duty ate it that day. They ate it on Shabbos in the base of Mikdash. That was the old bread. And the new bread got put into the place um, on Shabbos. So we had the conversation over here. Um, the Yom, you see verse 8, chapter, uh, chapter 24, uh, uh, verse 8, Yom HaShabbat, Yom HaShabbat, Derek Shenu, Lefnei Hashem Tamid. It was done on Shabbos. It was set up on Shabbos. It was given to them. And that has to happen all the time. Okay. And then we have another kind of weird story that happens over here at the end of the Parsha. Okay. It starts in verse 10 that this, this, uh, uh, the, the son of a Jewish woman, huh? The blasphemer. We don't use blaspheme enough in our common conversation. It's such a nice biblical word. So, it writes flat. No, blasphemy, we, we, we hear a lot. It doesn't feel like, yes, we should maybe try to bring it back later on. <laughs> I don't know. It's like such a fun word. Anyway, what happens? So, this guy, um, he's a son of a Jewish woman and also of an Egyptian man. He goes 
um, amongst the Jewish people, and there's a fight uh, between uh, this Jewish, the son of the Jewish woman and another Jewish person, and this, this person um, curses God. He curses God, and, and they go to motion. They don't know what to do with him, and it's and done, and they um, and they put him into into jail to find out what to do with him because they didn't know what to do with him, right? Because we know that there's no real jail system in Judaism. It, the, just locking a bunch of people who've done crimes together and hoping that they all get better is not how it works in Judaism. But here there, were, there are a couple of times where you need to find out what to do. So they put him someplace and Hashem says, actually needs to be stoned as Hashem, um, and, um, and then damages and payments for different damages and things that happen. It's like a kind of random weird story. But there, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like it feels like the Farsh had like a couple of random stuff sort of sprinkled a longer. Maybe I just found all the random stuff and, and strung them together. Necklace. Um, so there's a, so the conversation of who is this guy and what's going on. Um, and and uh, and then I'll tell you my take on the story. Okay, you don't have to buy my Kool Aid because it's my take. Um, this we know that that Judaism comes from the mother. Tribe comes from the father. Tribe comes from the father. The Jews are in the desert, and they are divided into camps, into tribes. And this person who has a Jewish mother but doesn't have a Jewish father doesn't have a tribe. So where does he put his tent? So his mother is from the tribe of Dan. So he tries to set up his tent near the tribe of Dan. And they say, no, this is not your place. You don't belong here. Now, I don't, I'm going to just put out there, like, it's a desert. I don't know what the big deal was, but let's say there were some limited resources. I don't know. I don't know what the story is, why it was an issue for them, but they say you can't do it. And back and forth and back and forth. And they go to Moshe and they have a whole court case. And Moshe, in fact, says, this is not the place you put your tent. You're not from the tribe of Dan. And he leaves and he's blast and he blasphemes that's how you'd use the word and he blasphemes and 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 the end is terrible um it's very sad it's very sad it's very it's it is find a place he was fine trying to find a place absolutely so this is the story i'll tell you if kumar has taken the story like I said, you do not have to buy my chalun. Um, this happens very in, in the early years of the Jews in the desert. The whole wandering and moving and blah, blah, blah. The tribe of Dan actually ends up, it's, it, it, it's the tribe that traveled at the end of the we traveled as a line or a square. Dan was called Dan Ma'asaf L'cholamachanes. They were the, the ones who, cat, who took everything in. They were like, you know, leave the desert, how you found the desert. Anybody go camping and see those signs, you know, leave the space as you found it. Don was the lost and found. They were right, and they spread out about the next, they returned it to their owners. One of the things that Talmud tells us 
that there that that, that place of lost souls comes through the tribe of Dan. So my take on the situation is that you know when you could be right but also wrong. They were right. This was not his place, but maybe on a bigger place they were wrong, and that's why they end up being that 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 place of ingathering of of always returning things to the owners of finding the place. Well, like you say, this guy wanted to find a place and he couldn't find a place for them. And somehow the tribe as a whole ends up being in that position of returning things that are lost, of finding the home for the things that are lost. Um, that's my, my, my take on the situation. I don't know if it's, you know, they chose it, it was chosen for them, but maybe, I think that it's sometimes for, for, for me, for us, it's sometimes hard to separate right from the correct. The question is not if he's right. So the question is, is he legally, is this his legal place? Maybe it was to give judges compassion. Maybe it was to, for them to have this experience and then to actually see somebody put to death as a result of what you, what you, you know, you caused it almost for them. Yeah. So I'm saying, so I'm saying, so I'm saying, is it possible that the whole story happens to give judges compassion, to give them, but I think that for us, because also it's coming from last week, we did Kedoshim, we spoke about Kedoshim, is this place of, not necessarily, is it the right thing? Can I do this? But should I do this? And I think justice was on their side, and yet maybe it wasn't the correct thing to do. There was, there had to be a different place for him. There, there for sure had to be a different place for him. But he was saying, I'm not like those people. There, there's all these people who came out of Egypt and they don't have any claim to any tribe. So she had claimed to drive the tribe from the father, not the mother. And you don't, you actually don't have claim to express the me. Legally, they were right and he was wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? They were right. And and maybe, and maybe, and I think for us, because partially I always look at and say, how does it reflect? Do I always need to be right? Do I have to stand in my legal right? Or can I be compassionate? Not that I have to be a pushover and not that I have to be a, a whatever, but where's the place of, you know, it doesn't bother me. I don't lose anything by being nice over here. I'm not saying like, cut loose something, you know, I don't know. I, I, I Again, I don't have to own it. It's interesting with the that uh, And they were right. And still, and still, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. So we got an overview of our partial. Guess what? We actually finished the whole partial. I'm super excited. Um, I want to go back to the beginning of the partial for a second. Talking about, let's go back to the beginning of the partial. Okay. And at the beginning, chapter 21, excuse me, verse 1, it says, Hashem says to Moshe, Emar Lakanin, Bnei Aaron, speak to the Kohanim, sons of Aaron, and say to them, Do not come in contact with a dead person. Okay. So, 
If you notice in this single verse, we have the root, like you have to have very like memory, quick memory loss to not get that somebody's speaking to somebody, right? So Rashi says, why do you have emor uh, twice? So he says, emor uh, amarta to say and to say, it's twice in the verse, to warn or to enjoin. That's also a nice word, enjoin. The older, the older people about their minors, um, that there is an obligation for education that the people who are more knowledgeable or who are older have an obligation to, uh, to educate the people in their care um, in different areas. And the Talmud points out a very interesting thing, that this, ex this expression, uh, uh, comes about three times. Can't be the Talmud because it's from Rashi. Uh, so that, uh, that, that to, to enjoin the olders on the younger shows up three times in Rashi. One is here. We were talking about Tuma. Tuma is, it's this, you know, no different. It doesn't, it's, there's no biological difference. It's just a spiritual that's different. And the other places that it, it talks about, it talks about once where it talks about the prohibition of eating blood. It uses this expression, Rashi says, that the older people should pay attention to the younger people about eating blood. And, and, and the Talmud says that people ate blood common and it was still forbidden by the Torah. And the other place is in the prohibition against eating creepy crawlies. I don't know what the real name for creepy crawlies is, but that's what we call them. Do they have another name? Insane, I don't know, maybe bugs, whatever, creepy, creepy crawlies. Anyway, so in that, we also, Rashi also says that we Get, we have to have uh, we have to have the olders pay attention to the education of the youngers. And and the Rebbe explains in a in a sticha that what does this mean? Like what are, what is this what is this blueprint for education? Um, and really saying that I it, it's a your face kind of expression. I don't know how you, it doesn't translate, but like you said, I shouldn't do it. I'm definitely going to do it. I know. Like, um, I know. Definitely. is just such a good word. It's like pathetic. Or let's say definitely. Right? So the, 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 the person who is a bug eater is the person educationally.
if that everybody's doing it, you wouldn't, it wouldn't make it argument that everybody does it is not reason not to get education to somebody. The fact that means that we have to be more creative, soft, gentle, welcoming, whatever the words that we want to use, but we can't just give up because everybody's doing it. Then we just throw in the towel and doesn't, you know, whatever. And here we talk about Tuma, Tuma and Tahara. It's not quantifiable. It's not measurable. You could say, how do I teach somebody to be spiritually sensitive? How can I how could I, I don't have the tools for that, but, but, but the Rebbe explains that educationally, we can teach people to, to, be to be spiritually sensitive. We can do it. And I want to say that when we talk about all of these things, it's so easy to be them and them. Now it's not my problem. I don't have to educate anybody. I don't have to, whatever. One day when, please God, when I'll be a mother, a teacher or whatever, then I'll have to worry about these things. I want to put a big stop. That's not the case. We each are in charge of educating ourselves first and foremost. And all the things and all the excuses that we make for ourselves, we need to educate ourselves and say, we are capable of more. We are capable of better. We are capable of bigger. We can. We, we can. we can fall back on the excuses. Everybody's doing it. I can't feel a texture or taste it. I, it should we? Should we? And in that conversation of how we talk to ourselves, the whole part is called Emma. Talking about speech. How do we talk to ourselves? Can we talk to ourselves with loving, gentle, nice words that empower us to change? That empower us to make differences? That enable us to climb off the branch that we put ourselves on to really become the better people that we're capable of being. Um, and I want to give us all a bracha that we actually take the, the energy of this parsha of being able to talk to ourselves first and foremost and being able to hear, not just talk, but to hear what we have to say, to understand that it's also very, very personal and to ourselves be able to say we're able to do this we can we don't have to give ourselves excuses we can be the most amazing beautiful version of ourselves have an awesome rest of the day